Uh, we're in a series where we are uh, in the Gospel of Luke, talking about what does it mean to have life with Jesus? What does it mean to take all the different areas of our lives and connect those with who Jesus is and what Jesus says and what he came to do and, and what he wants to do in our life? What does it mean to have those things intersect? So that's what we've been looking at the last, uh, the last handful of weeks, and really we'll be going through this for most of the year. And so uh, I'm excited to continue in this. If you're new and just joining us, uh, it's, it's, you, know, you can catch up on the sermons uh, that we've already had or just read the chapters in the Bible, and that's fine too. Or uh, if not, that's, that's fine as well. But we are uh, in uh, chapter, uh, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 today. So we're kind of getting into the meat of what, what happened as Jesus began to start his ministry and call people to himself and some of, the, some of just what that means and what happens as Jesus began to interact with people. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will enter into our time in God's word together. So Father, I, I pray that you would uh, even just now open our hearts, help us to listen to you, help us to hear your voice. God, I, I want uh, this time to be useful for us, and I pray that you would allow our hearts to receive what you want for us. I know that you know every name in this room, you see every person in this room, you know the, the concerns, you know the things on our hearts, you know the, the pain, you know the, the goals, and I ask that you would speak your voice into each of our hearts, Jesus, and pray this in your name, amen. Well, we, we are uh, living in a distracted world. And you may feel that yourself. I'm not calling out anyone particular if you're on your phone right now, but we, we, we are distracted. It's just your Bible, right? But uh, we're, we're distracted. We're, we live distracted. We live multitasking. We have so many balls that we're juggling, so many plates that we're spinning, so many things that we're doing. We live in a distracted world, for, whether that's from technology that we have 24-7 or it's just you know, barrage of information. You, you want to Google something. Every single thing has a billion results and you're like, wow, I've got a lot to read. I didn't realize that. And everything around us is just floods of information, access all the time, nonstop. We, we live in a very distracted world. And, it, and it's, it's a problem that people are trying to figure out how to deal with. This isn't just a, a Christian thing or a Bible thing. It's a, it's a person thing that, that our world is really trying to figure out how do we deal with this. And so there's tons of books being written uh, recently. This is a, a New York Times national bestseller, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And so, you know, this has national bestseller, right? So that means people are saying, yeah, we need to figure out how to control my attention. How can I choose my life? Here's a, another one, Deep Work. This is a few years back, but it's uh, got, you know, almost 3,000 ratings. It's a very popular book, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. So it might just be your life in general. It might be your work, but we live in a distracted world. One of, the, one of my favorite books that I saw as I was looking through this, another bestseller is called How to Do Nothing, which we have to read a book to figure out, okay, I want to do nothing. So first, I need to do something, I need to read this book, and then I can do nothing. Resisting the attention economy, which is a very interesting phrasing, because the economy really is built on getting your, getting my attention. If you can grab people's attention, if you can keep us on a phone or on a device or whatever it is, then people make money. So it's something, it's a problem that exists that people are trying to figure out because it is causing a lot of issues. Here's a 
article from Vox, and this is an interview they did with uh, the author of Hyperfocus, How to Manage Your Attention in a World of Distraction. And here's one of the things they say, tech companies are really, really good at getting you to stop whatever most important thing that you're doing and spend time on whatever dumb app or website, no offense if you're you know, one of these people building these things, um, and whatever dumb app or website they're making gargantuan sums of money on, and therefore our brains are constantly overstimulated. It's part of an ongoing discourse about mindfulness in an era where your attention is for sale. Make no mistake about that. Our attention is for sale, and it takes us away from what is most important and gives it to, you know, again, I don't want to make any offense, but dumb apps or whatever websites or things so that there's a lot of money made. And it is an attention economy. Our attention is for sale. There is profit being made on us being distracted. Here's another article in Harvard Business Review. In a distracted world, solitude is a competitive advantage. And there's just this quote of kind of the effects of some of this stuff. It says, a significant volume of research has outlined the problem with this onslaught of information. Research by the University of London reveals that our IQ drops by 5 to 15 points when we are multitasking. And some of us don't have that much to lose, you know? So if, if, that, if that's happening, that's like, oh man, well, I need to get that back. <laughs> I'm offending everybody, okay? You're dumb abs, you're stupid, what else, okay? In his book, you, if you just walked in, you know, I promise, it's okay, um, in his book, Your Brain at Work, David Rock explains that performance can decrease up to 50% when a person focuses on two mental tasks at once. We think, oh yeah, I'm multitasking, but you're really doing everything at half, uh, uh, half you know, speed uh, or whatever, right? Um, and research led by legendary Stanford University professor Clifford Nass concluded that distractions reduce the brain's ability to filter out irrelevancy in its working memory. Think about that. We are distracted nonstop. It's a problem that everyone is trying to figure out. Everyone's trying to deal with. And the effects of it, it might drop our IQ. It might help us. It might cause us to do a worse job. But this line here was very interesting to me, that it causes us to filter out irrelevancy. We are just taking tons of information in and don't know what's important anymore and don't know what's valuable anymore, which means it's not just, oh, I'm distracted. I need to focus on, you know, the, the important relationships in my life and that kind of thing. It's that we don't even really know anymore what matters, what, are, what is valuable, what are goals, what are purpose, what, I mean, all of these things. From a, from a, and here's, I saw this this week. This is from this week. Would a free milkshake get you to ignore your phone while driving? And the, there's a, this app saves lives, rewards drivers for not texting. And it's in use in Philadelphia. It has bigger plans. And to get you off your phone while you're driving, you get a free milkshake. That's how bad it is. We need to give people milkshakes to stop, okay? So there you go. That was, you know, I don't even know why I put that one in there, but that's happening right now. If you would like a free milkshake, you can probably get that. Now, from a Christian perspective, this was a best-selling book uh, uh, that came out um, a couple years ago in 2018, and he, this is speaking truth in a distracted age, and this professor is speaking about, man, what happens as we live in this distracted world? Kind of how does that affect faith? And three points that, you know, he elaborates on in the book, but the three points that he kind of covered, whoops, the three points that he covers is this. One, it's easier to ignore contradiction and flaws in our basic beliefs. When we are constantly distracted, it's hard. 
it's hard to actually keep our beliefs remaining pure. That what happens is we have contradictions. That might mean there's things that we say we believe, but we do different things. There's things we say we believe about God, but we do different things. And our beliefs don't actually line up. Our worldview doesn't actually line up because we're just constantly distracted. Or even for those of you that maybe are not Christians or are processing things, you may, you may have certain values and beliefs that you have that don't actually line up with other values and beliefs you have. And it's hard to even, it's hard to even consider perhaps a Christian worldview worldview because we're fine with differing belief systems because we haven't actually taken the time to go, wait a minute, I need to think about, are my beliefs even congruent? And second, we are less likely to devote time to introspection. And you, you know this, you can feel this, that if we're constantly distracted, it's hard to actually take stock of our lives to actually think about what am I doing? What am I about? Where am I going? What is life about? Am I living the life I want to live? And conversations about faith can be easily perceived as just another exercise in superficial identity formation, which means that faith, when we're just distracted, faith kind of just, your faith is reduced to a prayer emoji. It's just kind of a little thing that's slapped on there. It's just a superficial identity. It's not really something that is operating out of the core of who you are because we're just living distracted. So all that to say we live in a distracted world world. It's difficult. It's hard. It leads to disconnection. It leads to disconnection from your purpose. It leads, go ahead and take that. It'll just, uh, you know, help. help. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I don't even know who that was, so it's totally fine. Okay, so <laughs> it could have been my phone, you know, so it leads to disconnection. It leads to disconnection from our purpose. It leads to disconnection from joy and from other people. It leads to disconnection from God. It leads to disconnection from God's will in our lives. It's it's not just kind of a, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a busy world and everything is crazy. It has severe effects where we're no longer focusing on the important things, no longer focusing on what matters. And you might feel this. And you can feel it in different ways. You might feel it with God. You might feel distracted in your relationship with God. You might feel the superficiality of faith. You might feel it at that level. You might feel it with your relationships and feel like, man, I, I do feel, man, I, I'm kind of constantly going in several different directions. Sometimes we just feel it in an apathetic way, that we look at our life and we actually feel an apathy because we're not living out of purpose. We're not living out of deep meaning. We're living just kind of going, 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 and, and we're living actually just then apathetic because nothing does seem to really matter. So you may feel it in different ways. And it's not what we want. It's not how we want to live. But it's hard to get out of. It's hard to get out of that cycle, especially when it is of economic advantage if people can have our attention bought. It's hard to get out of. And the way that we can get out of it is we need to have, in some way, spiritual refocus. If there's all of this noise and there's all of this distraction and there's all of this, we need to have some way to spiritually refocus. We need to have some habits, some practices, some disciplines that help us in the midst of the cloud to be able to say, I'm grounded here. We need to have some habits and some practices that help us with that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But, but to begin with, 
oftentimes, even if you say, okay, yeah, I need some spiritual refocus, I need some spiritual habits, I need some spiritual practices to refocus me out of the the distracted kind of crazy world, oftentimes those can actually be dangerous to our soul. So I want to kind of look at this, these kind of couple stories with Jesus that, that talk about this, that help us to see some of the dangers that religion and spiritual practices can have, but also then what the purpose of them is and how we can engage in those in the middle of a distracted world to find a focus and a centering and a joy and a purpose and a, a mind that is actually thinking about what is most important and living from that place. So we will read starting here in Luke 5, 33. Then they, that's the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, uh, kind of they would have been like pastors, but the religious leaders of the time. Then they said to him, to Jesus, John, and that's John the Baptist, if you uh, kind of have been following, John's disciples, they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put, no, excuse me, no, new wine is put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. So that's kind of first scene. Then it moves into this. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields and his disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David, that's King David in the Old Testament, and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the son of man, that's talking about himself, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life? Or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he told him, Stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the first question I want to look at is this, which is, what are the dangers of religion? Or we could even kind of say in that, what's the dangers of spiritual practice? I am telling us that this is one of the key ways that we can refocus, but there are some inherent dangers that we actually see presented that the Pharisees reveal to us. And the first thing is this, one of the dangers of religion or one of the dangers of spiritual practice is that it creates rules. It creates rules that are not actually from God. 
See, it's interesting that the Pharisees on both of these things, fasting and Sabbath, on both of these things, they are creating rules that is not actually what God said. So Jesus is there and he's with his disciples and they're eating and they're drinking. They're hanging out with people at this, at this, at this party that uh, Matthew had thrown that we looked at last week. And the Pharisees say, John's disciples and the Pharisees, they fast, but you're not. They don't say, Jesus, didn't you read in the Old Testament where it says that you can't do this and you can't do, you, you're supposed to fast on this day and you're supposed to fast? That's not what they say. They say, don't you understand that our group of people has said that these are the rules? And even if you look in, and I don't expect that um, probably most of you won't do this, but if you look at kind of the Pharisees, you can still look at some of what the guided the Pharisees, their per, uh, particular religious documents that weren't actually in the Bible. It talks about the amount of fasting and all the different kind of practices that they were supposed to do. You can still find that stuff. And it wasn't stuff that was in the Bible. So they have created additional rules that weren't God's rules and now expect Jesus to follow those rules, expect his disciples to follow those rules. And the same thing happened with the Sabbath. The disciples are walking through uh, the grain fields with Jesus. So imagine kind of tall fields of wheat. It doesn't say why they're there. I don't know if it's a shortcut or they just you know, felt kind of free that day or what, what was going on, but uh, they, they're you know, practicing for engagement photos or something and they're walking through the fields. And they, they kind of pluck off the little, the little wheat heads. I'm, you know, I don't know much about wheat, but they pluck it off and they, they rub it together and they eat it. And the Pharisees say, you can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, it says you can't work on the Sabbath. But that wasn't super particularly defined. But the Pharisees had created over, uh, I think, it, yeah, 39 different things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. They had created those rules. And so they said, by grabbing it and doing this, that's working. And so you are working on the Sabbath. See, one of the things that is dangerous about religion is that we create rules that God has not created. We come up with things that God has not come up with. A lot of times, this might even come from a good heart. It might come from a place that says, this over here is sin, and I don't even want to get close to that, so I'm going to make all these rules up to here to say, don't even do this thing. That's what the Pharisees did. They created several rules that are not from God. This is one of the dangers of religion. And listen, that might seem distant to us. You probably don't have a bunch of rules around fasting or a bunch of rules around wheat fields. You, you probably don't, I'm guessing. And yet, we create rules as well around religion. We create rules around faith. We create rules around spirituality. That might be the way that you think church is supposed to be. That the Bible doesn't say, but that you say, no, I think it should be like this. That might be around parenting. And there's certain things that you say, this is the way it needs to be done. And it might be good. It might be good for you. It might not be good for them, but we create rules. It might be around things like how you're supposed to read the Bible or what kind of Bible translation. It can be around all sorts of things where we create rules that God has not actually given to us. And the second thing that then happens with those is we judge other people that don't keep our rules. So instead of saying we should all align around what God says, we create rules 
and then we judge other people that don't keep our rules. That's what the Pharisees did. They're at the party. They say, John's disciples, the Pharisees' disciples do this. We've created this rule. You're not doing this. So now I'm judging you, not by what God says, but by the standards that I've created. I love even the the whole grain field thing. It says, they're walking through the grain field, and the Pharisees say, hey, that's not lawful. Where do they come from? They're walking through, and the Pharisees just kind of pop up out of the wheat, and they're like, hey, we saw you. It's, It's very weird. And then it says they go into the synagogue, and Jesus, it, said, it specifically says there, they are watching him closely to see if he's going to heal. You see, that is the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is I create rules, and then I judge other people that do not keep them, and I watch closely to see if they're going to keep them. Let me ask you this. Are you more prone to look for other people's faults? Are you more attuned to other people's errors or supposed errors based on your, based on your criteria? Are you looking for what's wrong? That's not the Spirit of God. The Pharisees constantly, we see this throughout the book of Luke, but in these passages in particular, we see it. They're constantly looking for ways that Jesus isn't doing what they think he should be doing. Looking for ways that the disciples are not doing what they think that they should be doing. That is one of the problems with religion. We create rules and then we judge others and try to see them mess up. If you have a heart, that enters into relationships with people, that enters into church, that enters into uh, even the Bible or whatever it is, looking for what's wrong with this. You might not think of yourself as a Pharisee, but that is the spirit of the Pharisees. Looking for what's wrong. Looking for the air. Looking for what's not lining up to their expectations. And, and looking for what's not lining up to how you think it should be. Okay, it got a little more quiet. That's one of the dangers of religion. It creates rules, and then we judge people for not keeping the rules. And, and then, as a part of that, what happens is we focus, and what they did, is they focused on the rules and missed the heart. Focused on the rules and missed the heart. Listen, this is so crazy to me when I'm reading this. It says that they are watching him closely in the synagogue to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. You know what that means? They think he can heal. They think he has the power to heal and they want him to do it so they can say, gotcha. That is so twisted. They believe the power is in him to heal people. And they are so missing God's heart because they're so focused on the rules. But listen, it's not even the rules that God made. It's their rules. See, there, there was things that the Pharisees uh, would teach that would say that you, you couldn't do. The, so in the law, in the law of the Old Testament, you can do work on the Sabbath if it saves people. You can do work. And the Pharisees would allow for if there was a let's say childbirth or there was some kind of medical emergency, then they would go, okay, fine, that's, that's all right. 
but this guy, eh, withered hand. He can wait till, you know, he can wait till Monday. Like that's, you know, whatever. What's one more day with a withered hand, right? But they're totally missing, totally missing God's heart. And that's what Jesus calls out. He says, you're so focused on the rules of not doing work on the Sabbath that you think God doesn't want to bring healing to someone's withered hand? See, what happens with religion, one of the dangers of religion, we create rules. We judge other people by the rules, which then means we're so focused on the rules, we actually are blind. It's not just that the Pharisees were strict, it's that they're blind. They're blind to God's heart. They're blind to what God wants. Listen, we do this anytime that we are annoyed by someone's sin and want them to change, not because we love them and want them to follow Jesus and want God to do good in their life and we know God's good, so we want them to be able to experience his goodness, but just because we're annoyed by their sin. This can happen with a lot of different things. Let me speak to those of you that are married or in relationships. If you, if you look at your significant other, and you see the thing, if you just take this religious spirit to that, here's what happens. You create rules, they're not following them, and you're looking. Look, are you more attuned to your spouse or your significant others? You attuned to their faults, and it's easy to have criticisms, and you know all the things they're doing wrong, and then you want them to change. You hate the things going on in their life that are wrong, and you want it to change, but it's not because you love them. It's not because your heart matches God's heart and you want them to experience joy. It's because they're annoying you and their sin bothers you. If they're sinfully lazy, it's not that you want them to experience the joy of working for the glory of God. It's that you want them to stop being lazy. If they're a complainer, if they're, if they're, um, if they're a nag, it's not that you want them to experience the joy of being thankful and receiving everything as a gift from God and his blessings. It's because they're annoying you. See, that's what happens. We focus on the rules and we miss God's heart. Any time that you sense any of that in yourself, that is, you might be right. Say, this is wrong and they shouldn't be doing this and this isn't how it should go. You might be right. But we miss God's heart. See, what religion and the spirit of religion and one of the dangers, even though I'm going to say this is also the answer, the danger that we first have to address that we see in the Pharisees is they create rules. They judge other people by their rules and look for what's wrong. And then in the midst of all that, they're focusing on the rules and missing God's heart. The core the core of all this, the core underneath all of this is really what has happened is spirituality or religion or faith or whatever you want to call it. It's become an external thing, not an internal thing. It's become something that is, look, we use the language of going through the motions, right? Which is to say, I'm doing the external things. The Pharisees are keeping the rules. They're fasting. They're practicing the Sabbath. They're keeping the rules, but it's an external thing. Their heart is obviously not what God's heart is. They are doing external religious activities. They're doing external religious practices and habits and disciplines, but the reason is external. It often has to do with controlling God. Say, God, if I do these things, then you need to do some things for me. And you might feel that. Might say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, or I'm going to obey you, God, on these things, but I expect in return you to do some things for me. 
And we might not say it in such transactional language, but externally, if you find yourself going through the motions, it's either because you're trying to use those things to get God to do something, becomes an economic deal, or just for your own image. Jesus talks about this with the Pharisees in other places, saying you are practicing your righteousness before people so that they see you. And sometimes it's so that others see us. Sometimes it's just so that we kind of see ourselves and feel good about ourselves. Think, look, let me just kind of bring this down a little bit even to here. When we go through the motions, which can be when we pray, are we really praying? Are we really praying? Are we really talking to God? Or are we just kind of saying some things? Because either we want God to kind of see, yes, I saw that you prayed, good job. We want other people to see it. Or we want to know and feel, yes, I'm a praying person. When we sing songs here, how easy is it? Isn't it? How easy is it to just kind of stand up and come thou found, what's that mean, of every blessing, you know, and just kind of go through and be like, what am I even saying? <laughs> she knows, okay? Come thou found, right? So like we, we just kind of can sing things, we can say things, you can pick up the Bible and read it, you can sit here today, right? And listen, okay, yep, listen to a sermon today, went to church today. Why? Sometimes, one of the dangers of religion is it, it under the core of all these things, of a judgmental spirit, of, of looking for what's wrong in other people, of creating rules, often at the core is it's really just external religiosity. It's a going through the motions to either get control of God in some way or to feel good about ourselves. But here's what that does. What that does is instead of actually refocusing us in a distracted world, instead of reconnecting us in a distracted world, it actually leaves us more distracted and more numb and more unable in a distracted world to have any resources against that. Because the very thing that should help is actually just becoming another distraction. The very thing that should bring life is actually just becoming an empty ritual. This is what happened with the Pharisees. So, what is the purpose of spiritual habits? We need spiritual habits or disciplines or practices to refocus us in the middle of a distracted world. What is the purpose of them? Because you might say, even as we kind of just went through all those dangers of religion, you might say, see, that's kind of the problem. The problem is the Bible. The problem is church. The problem is these, these things. That's the problem. I just need to be out in nature. I just need to be in the mountains. I just need to, whatever it is. We might kind of think that. But these practices, these habits are not the problem. We just need to know the, the purpose of them. And the core, Jesus tells us, the core of spiritual habits and practices, fasting, Sabbath, the core of these things is joy. The core purpose, the core reason that these are given to God's people is joy and life and goodness. We look at, we look at uh, Sabbath and one of the, the arguments that kind of Jesus uses with them, the question that he asks them as they're watching to see if he's going to heal, he says, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Which what he is saying is, look, the purpose of the Sabbath, the reason that God created it, was to bring good into our lives. So if that's the purpose, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? And then he says, is it right 
to save life on the Sabbath? Because that's why God created it. And then when he talks about fasting, they say, why aren't you fasting? And I love what Jesus says. He says, when the groom is with the wedding guests, do they fast? When the groom is with the wedding guests, do they fast? Now, you need to understand the, the logic here of what Jesus is saying is that if, if I am, Jesus is referring to himself as the groom, if I'm with these people, there's no reason to fast, which would mean then if the groom is gone, the reason to fast is to get some of the groomness back, which when he says that if the groom is with them, they don't fast. Well, what, what is that? If the groom is with them, if there's a wedding, if they're there, what is the purpose of that? If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that a wedding, you're not going to fast at a wedding because it's a celebration. It's joy, right? Very similar to the Sabbath. He says, on the Sabbath, here's the purpose. Life, goodness. With fasting, what's the purpose? It's joy to experience God's presence. It's joy. You, if, if you think about a wedding, the image Jesus is using, just to go back to this, he says, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them. You can't make them fast when the groom is with them. Because at a wedding, this is what happens. This is what happens at a wedding, right? There's crowd surfing. There's, you know, all, all sorts of great things that are taking place. There's this. And giant cakes, right? If this is not how you're doing your wedding, you're doing it wrong, right? For those of you that are engaged in planning weddings, your bill just went up by, you know, a little bit. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I love, let's just leave that up there and look at that. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, that's the point. That's the point of the Sabbath. That's the point of fasting. And they don't need to fast right now because I am there bringing that to them. Which means when I'm gone, they're going to want that again. But the purpose, Jesus said, of the spiritual habits, look, there's several things that God gives, but in these two stories, it's Sabbath and fasting, which can be two very like, okay, these are spiritual disciplines, these are practices, you need to do these things. And he's saying, look, the reason that these exist is to bring life, it's to bring God's goodness, it's to bring joy and festivity. That is the purpose of them. See, they lived like we do in a distracted world. That's nothing new. Yeah, it's new now with technology and, you know, 24-7 internet and connection and news. And it's new in that way, but they lived in a distracted world too. They live in a world where work and, and politics and, and pain and suffering and all sorts of things are pushing in around them. They lived in a distracted world just like we did. We have our work. We have goals that we have. We have pain in our life. And with all of that, it's easy to miss God. It's easy to forget why we're even here. It's easy to forget what is most important, what's most relevant. It's easy to not be able to filter stuff out. It's easy. They lived in that world and so do we. And in the middle of all of that, what Jesus is saying is God sees you. God sees the distraction. He sees the things that are vying for your attention. He sees the, the people trying to buy your attention. God sees the pain in your life that sometimes that's all you can focus on. 
He sees all of that, and in the middle of that, he wants to be able to give you his goodness. He wants to be able to give you his joy. He wants to be able to give you life. That's the reason that originally God invented and gave these practices, and it's why we have them today, that God wants to draw us in. Every law that God gives, every habit that God has designed or instituted is all to not just make us good, upright, moral people, but to bring us into his goodness and his life and his joy. Let Let me ask you, is that how you view God? Is that how you view spiritual disciplines or habits or practices? If not, then it's hard to want to enter into that. We then forget who he is and we're not drawn to him. And we stay in a distracted, unfocused place. So the last thing is just how do we use these spiritual habits? God designs them to bring us into his goodness. He designs them to bring us into his life and his joy. So how how do we use them? How do we use them? And the key for us today... The key that Jesus began to speak about is that he is doing something new. The key is fasting, Sabbath, really any spiritual discipline or habit, but we're just talking about these two today. The key is the way that we use them has to be centered on Jesus. That's what he said. They have to be centered on him. If you want to exit out of a distracted world, and you want to experience the joy and the goodness and the life that he wants for you instead, the way that you use them has to have at their core Jesus as the center, Jesus as the focus. Jesus says that he has come to bring something new. And he uses this image of the wineskin. See, they used to put wine in these sort of, kind of like, you know, these, these containers, which I was thinking is interesting because now a lot of wine is, is sold like this. So we're kind of, we're back to wineskins once again, you know. It's like we tried bottles for a thousand years and we're like, nah, let's go back to the skins. But let's make them chemical. Um, and so Jesus uses this image of the skins. And he says what happens is this, you can't, once you would put, once you would put wine in a wineskin, and look, I'm not a chemist or, or uh, a vinter, neither of those things, but it expands, okay? And now you can't take new wine and put it into an old skin or it's going to burst it. It's going to expand it even more and then it's going to burst. So you have to put new wine into new skins and the old wine stays in the old skins. And Jesus uses the other metaphor of kind of the patch. You wouldn't, you wouldn't cut off from a new shirt and put that on an old shirt because that ruins your old shirt and ruins your new shirt. It doesn't, it doesn't really work. And Jesus' point with all of that is to say, something new is happening. I'm bringing something new. And you can't fit me, not me, but Jesus, you can't fit me into your old way. You can't fit me into how it used to be. See, when Jesus came, when Jesus came, something new began. What was promised in the Old Testament has now been fulfilled. They were waiting for a king. The king is here. They were waiting for a savior. The savior is here. They were waiting for God to forgive and have an age of God's grace and a covenant. You know, Jesus comes and we're going to take communion in a minute. He comes and he says, this is the new covenant of my blood. They were living in an old covenant. Now they're entering into a new covenant. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing something new. 
I'm bringing forgiveness. I'm bringing God's grace to you. I'm bringing, they, they used to worship in the temple. That's where God's presence was. And now Jesus himself is God's temple. He's saying, I'm bringing a new way to relate to God. You can experience God's presence in me. You can experience God's forgiveness, not in sacrificial animals anymore, but in me. You can experience God's kingdom, not in just a, a political reality, but in me as the king. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing something new. And you can't fit me into what was old. Now, how, how does that relate to how we use the spiritual habit? Well, that means that the two things that we're talking about here, fasting and Sabbath, that those have to be centered on the newness of who Jesus is. Those have to be centered on him, which is what Jesus said. He said with fasting that they don't need to fast right now because the groom is here. If you're at a wedding, no one is fasting at a wedding. Because the groom is there. But Jesus said, when I leave, then they will fast. When I leave, then they're going to fast. You know why? Because fasting brings something of him into our life now. He is saying they don't need to fast because they have all of me with them right now. They have all my joy, all my presence, all of me is here. And he says, but when I go, they're going to want to fast again. Because there's something about that habit, that practice, that draws us back and more refocused into God again, into Jesus again. Think about it. Think about distraction. A lot of our distraction comes from craving more. That might be just more information to know what's going on in the world. You only know a little bit about the coronavirus, but you need to read 10 articles about it. You need to make sure you get your head around it, right? Sorry if that triggering for some of you, and you're like, I was trying not to think about that. Now I'm in a public space. I'm surrounded by people, you know. <clears throat> but we want more information, and we're distracted. We want more entertainment, and we're distracted. We want maybe even more relationships, and we're distracted. We want more things, and we're distracted. Fasting has a way of refocusing us back on Jesus to say, you know what? What I really need is you. What I really need is your joy. What I really need is who you are, Jesus, as king. What I really need is your, more of your presence in my life. I love one author says that fasting is feasting. Because a lot of times we think about fasting as I'm just denying something, but really it's I'm feasting on Jesus. If he was present, I wouldn't need to fast. And he is present by his spirit, but there's another sense, obviously, in which he's physically not here. And to say, man, I want to feast on him. I don't want more and more of this stuff. Fasting is a discipline to say, I don't need that. I need him. And I want to know all of the joy that he comes to bring. I want to know all the goodness he comes to bring. I want it to be like the groom is here. And so I'm denying all this other stuff so I can focus on him. Listen, if you make fasting some sort of regular practice in your life, it's one of the, I mean, people talk about this even without Christianity, just going on a digital fast and going on, I mean, it's big in Silicon Valley and all, all these things to be able to say, yeah, we, we need to get rid of this so we can focus on what's really important. Jesus is saying, in essence, the same thing, but focusing on himself and saying, yeah, you need to get rid of all this other stuff for a time to focus on me and to remember who I am and to remember the newness that I bring into your life. And then with 
Sabbath. With Sabbath, Jesus says, it's not just about a day anymore. It's not just about a day and just 24 hours where you're not working. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I love that. I was talking to my kids about the idea of Lord and we just watched Star Wars. And they're like, what does Lord mean? I'm like, well, think about Lord Vader, right? It's like, he's, he's, the, he's the boss. He's the authority. And they call him Lord Vader, right? Sorry if this is too nerdy for some of you. Or the Lord of the Rings, right? And he's the, he's the boss. He's the authority of the rings. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of Sabbath. What a great title for God. I'm the Lord of rest. I'm the Lord of rest. And that is beautiful. You have a God that defines himself by saying, I, I am the one that has all authority over rest. You see, Sabbath is not just a day anymore. It's a way that we refocus and recenter on the one that can truly bring rest to our souls. Sabbath was originally given to God's people so that they could enter into God's created goodness and so that they could remember that they weren't slaves. God says, I rescued you out of Egypt. Now I want you to remember the Sabbath so you can remember you're not slaves. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, which means you want, you want to enter into God's goodness? Come to me. I am the full expression of all of God's goodness. You want to remember that you're not a slave? You want to remember that you're not defined by your work? Do you want to remember that your identity is not in what you do? Come to me. And I'll give you rest, not just, not just a day off. I'll give you rest for your souls. So you can remember at the deepest level, it's not about what you do, but what's been done for you. So you can remember that I give, you don't have to fight at a soul level to prove yourself or to, to be good or to have other people see you, but to be defined by me. I give rest for your souls. See, the way that we use the spiritual habit is when they're focused on Jesus. We fast to experience more of Jesus instead of more of this stuff. We Sabbath, not just to take a day off or because the Bible says so, but to focus on the Lord of rest, to experience rest for our souls. Man, I could give you a lot of practical tools and tricks and tips on how to fast and how to Sabbath, but I, but I, I want to give you just the most basic thing when it comes to Sabbathing which is to say, carve out Sundays to Sabbath, to focus on Jesus here, to do something that, that fills your soul after this, whether that's in relationships, community, go get lunch, go on a hike, go I mean, play a video game, whatever, whatever it is that you feel like, man, God's goodness I'm able to experience, but spend some of that time here, focusing on Jesus, remembering his salvation, remembering his goodness. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. We don't want distractions. We, we live in a distracted world. We, we don't want to live just filtering out what's relevant and living distracted. We want focus. We want joy. We want meaning. We want purpose. We want to be able to do what really matters and, and feel what really matters. How can we do that? One of the key ways is to have spiritual habits that refocus us that recenter us in the middle of busy craziness on God, on Jesus, on his love, on his salvation, on his goodness, on the life and the joy that he wants for us to have. Imagine if you can just make that regular in your life. It's going to be hard to get rid of. It's going to be hard to be totally rid of all distractions. 
But we can have rhythms of recentering, where Jesus and who he is resets us again and again. So just think about those two things. How can you make more regular fasting a practice in your life? And how can you make Sabbathing a committed, regular part of your life? We're going to take communion. When we take communion, we remember what Jesus said he came to bring. The joy, the life, the goodness. And that on the cross, on the cross, Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so he could take all of our sin on himself and give us all of his salvation, all of his joy, all of his goodness so we could taste and experience that. That's what we need for our souls. That's the rest that we need. That's the more that we need. And that's what he offers to us. So we're going to take communion and then we'll sing a few songs to reflect, to remember, to have this truth go deeper into our hearts. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you want us to experience more of you. You want us to taste your goodness at a soul level. You don't want for us to live just distracted, whether that's distracted by work or pain or goals or projects or even fun and entertainment. You don't want us to just live in a distracted state. You want to cut through the noise and the chaos and give us the joy that you died for, the salvation that you died for. So I pray that even now, in our next handful of minutes together, we would be able to refocus on your goodness, Jesus, on your grace. In your name we pray.